Crossroads Church, how are you doing? Good to hear all of your voices. Glad you're joining me. Interact with me a little bit today. For those of you who don't know, this is actually scary. doesn't matter if you do this for a career or a profession. It's scary to be in front of people. So feel free to laugh. Feel free to smile. Feel free to interact. Uh, if you're going to boo, I just ask that you reserve that till you're outside and I'm not in your shop. Because just like this is scary, everyone is also afraid of rejection. So I invite you to partake in this morning's interaction with me. My name is Tyler, and I have the great privilege of being the Lompoc campus pastor. Um, Lompoc, we're so glad that you're joining us. I miss you greatly this morning. I will be back shortly. Sometimes there's just awkward moments. I don't know. Sorry. Just got because sometimes you debate whether you're going to like acknowledge the awkwardness, or do you just try and pretend like it didn't happen? That was one we just got to acknowledge it. I didn't know what else to say. So glad you guys are joining us. You're in the great care of my wife and all of the volunteers over there. Um, for those of us joining online, we encourage you. We'd love to see you in person. Again, whether it's Bealton, 9, 1045, Lompoc at 1045, we would love to see you. And for those of us in the room, again, feel free to interact, laugh. This is going to be a good time. We are in Genesis chapter 7. That's right, Genesis chapter 7, Noah's ark. I can feel the excitement already of like, oh my gosh, this is going to be amazing. Genesis, good news from the start. Good news from the start. If you've been with us on this journey in Genesis, you've seen sometimes it's difficult to find exactly why we entitled this good news from the start. Sometimes it's difficult as we hash this out a little bit of how is it that the fall of mankind is actually good news. How is it that Cain murdering Abel is good news? How is it that all of humanity being wiped out and one family being saved, good news? Well, strap in because we're on this wild ride together, my friend. All right, so I'm going to pray and then we're going to dive right in. Jesus, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the opportunity we have to get to know you more, to get to know you deeper. Jesus, open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, and our hearts to receive what you have for us this morning. And Holy Spirit, illuminate the truth to us. As we're all lost, broken, trying to make and rectify truth, Holy Spirit, we invite you here and say we need you. Illuminate and enlighten the truth to us this morning as we explore your scriptures. We love you. We thank you. It's in your mighty name we pray. And everyone says Amen. So Genesis, good news from the start. And if you did not know, Genesis is the first book in the canon of Scripture, which is the compilation, co compilation of the Bible. But most believe it's actually not the oldest book written. Most scholars would believe that Job is actually the oldest recorded book. But here we have the first book that outlines all of creation in the first 11 chapters of Genesis. Genesis is actually a compilation of five books all put together that the Jews would have called the Law of Moses. So if you've ever read the New Testament and Jesus talks about you read in the Law of Moses, what he's actually referring to is not necessarily the stone tablet that Moses brought down, not referring to all of the laws that say don't boil a goat in milk. For those of you who don't know about that, you can explore that on your own. That's not what Jesus is referring to. What he's referring to is the first five books of the Bible, which is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Those five books make up what we would call the Torah or the Pentateuch. 
fun knowledge for you. If you felt really good about yourself walking in here, I'm sorry, we're going to bring everyone down a couple notches right now. The Jews would go into school as a Jewish boy. At six years old, they would go into school. Every Jewish boy would go into the school, but only the elite would continue in this school. And that's how you would become a Pharisee or a Sadducee, all right? So at six years old, you would go into the school, and slowly, you can imagine, children would begin to drop like flies. I would have been one of those kids. They would have been like, congratulations. I'm not even a good fisherman, so I honestly have no idea what they would have had me doing. I'd have been like mopping the ground, which was dirt. Yep, that would have been probably my job. They would begin to drop like flies. And by 10 years old, 10 years old, a Jewish boy would have memorized the entire Torah. Let me remind you, the Torah is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. By 10 years old, they would have had the first five books of what we now have as a scripture memorized by memory. Like you could just be like, hey, what's this say? And they would literally be able to spout it off to you at 10 years old because that would have been a prerequisite for them to move on. 10 years old, they would have had this entire first five books of the New Testament memorized. I tell you that to help you understand. People do a lot of study in this book. They have always studied this book. In the time of Jesus, he would have been dealing with people and interacting with people that had the first five books of the Bible memorized at age 10. And yet sometimes we miss things that are staring us right in the face. The first five books, we're now in Genesis chapter one and two of Genesis, recap the creation that God performed. God created something, all things, out of nothing. I'd like to consider myself a builder of sorts, a subpar builder at best, and how I know I'm a subpar builder at best is because I can never not go to Home Depot five times when I'm doing a project. It does not matter how simple the project or how complex the project, I have to go five times, okay? God took nothing and created everything. This is what we read in Genesis 1 and 2. And he says, it is good. And then we see he created man and woman. And he said, it is very good. If you're married, look at your wife and say, it is very good. All right? I'm married. So I understand. I'm like, God, I'm right there with you. It is good. You did a good job. And then we get to Genesis chapter 3. This is where everything seems to get fractured. Where for those of us who have been on this journey together, we, we, we begin to question, God, how is it that this is good news from the start? Genesis chapter 3, we see his creation now has gone astray from the commandments of God. They've been pushed out of the Garden of Eden, and they are pushed farther and farther away from God by their own doing. Genesis chapter 4, we see the murder of Abel. Cain murders his brother Abel out of smite because God did not take his sacrifice the same way he took his brothers. Genesis chapter five, we have all of these genealogies, people living hundreds and hundreds of years old, all culminating to Genesis chapter six, where it says corruption grew on the face of the earth everywhere. It's important that we understand the foundations of where we've come from through Genesis as we understand and begin to dissect a flood, a catastrophic flood that killed and leveled all of God's creation. It's important that we understand how God created it, 
It was good. Man fractured it. And because of that fracturing, we see Genesis chapter 6. Corruption, disarray is all over the earth. And one family is found righteous. Open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 7. I will read this. If you need a Bible, feel free to raise your hand. Someone in the back will get you a Bible. It's a long portion of scripture, so get ready. I'll try not to get out of breath. Sometimes I forget to breathe when I read and I'm nervous, so if I pass out, Stephen, you got me. Got me. Thank you. Genesis chapter 7. I'm going to read the last verse of chapter 6. Noah did this he did all that, the, uh, that God had commanded him. Chapter 7. Then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the animal and his mate, and the pair of the animals that are not clean. The male, the pair of animals that are not clean, the male and his mate, the seven pairs of the birds of the heavens also, male and female, to keep their offspring alive on the face of all the earth. For in seven days I will send rain on the earth, forty days and forty nights, and every living thing that I have made I will blot out from the face of the ground. And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. Noah was 600 years old when the flood of waters came upon the earth. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him went into the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Of clean animals and of the animals that are not clean and of birds and of everything that creeps on the ground, two and two, male and female, went into the ark with Noah as God had commanded Noah. And in seven days, the waters of the flood came upon the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, all of the fountains of the great deep burst forth and the windows of the heavens were opened and rain fell upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. On the very same day, Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons with them entered the ark. They and every beast according to its kind and all the livestock according to their kinds and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth according to its kind and every bird according to its kind, every winged creature. They went into the ark with Noah, two and two of all flesh, in which there was the breath of life. And those that entered, male and female, of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him. And the Lord shut him in. The flood continued 40 days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters. The waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed over the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. And all flesh died that moved on the earth, birds, livestock, beasts, all, swarm, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth, and all mankind. Everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died blotted out every living, every living thing that was on the face of the ground, men and animals, creeping things and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark and the waters prevailed on the earth for 150 days. Noah was 600 years old. I don't know if you caught that. 600 years old. When the command, the commission from God came, build a boat. 
rain is coming. Now, this climate was radically different than what we experience today. You know how I know that? Because Noah was 600 years old, okay? Radically different world than we live in today because I'm only 31 years old. I can't imagine building a boat at 600 years old, let alone the boat, the magnitude, the size of which he was told by God. And now, he didn't just build the boat. He grew trees. I don't know if you remember, there was no Home Depot back then to make five trips to, okay? I'd have been making hundreds of trips to build this boat. For those of us who have bought lumber now, we're like, that boat would have probably cost $100,000. Like, uh, the price of lumber nowadays, it'd be so much money. Like, our brain goes to all these places. Noah, 600 years old, grows trees to build a boat that the Lord commanded him. Now, he didn't just build a boat, though. I want you to think that the wickedness of the world that would have been watching as Noah is promised rain will come. Most would believe there might not have even been rain in this kind of climate. The the ecosystem was radically different. They may have never experienced rain before. And he's like, I don't know. God said like the floodgates are going to open and build a boat. And everyone was like, you're crazy. You're 600 years old. What are you doing out here? but he was not just about building the boat. This boat was 450 feet long. 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, 45 feet high. There was three layers in this boat and it was all specifically the way that God had designed. He told him how to build the door, told him the direction of the door. He told him how many different layers to make. He told him everything, gave him all of the instructions to do this, said, this is how I want it built. But he did not give him like the Ikea printout of just a bunch of pictures. It's like, this is how you're going to put the pieces. It was like, here's the overall general theme and now go and do this. And all of humankind is watching this man build a boat in the desert. This boat ultimately would be the salvation for his family. I want you to think about this for a second. Noah is tasked in the desert. 120 years is as long as it took from the day that God had told him to build the boat to finish it. And then seven days of rain, the whole time in his brain, he's thinking, this is what's going to save my family. I've been told that all of mankind is going to be wiped out and God has given me instructions for the way in which I'm going to save my family. This is what 2 Peter tells us also. 2 Peter chapter 2 says this. 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 5. I'm going to read verse 4. It's going to get a little hairy, but I just want you to have context. For if God did not spare angels, I told you it was going to get a little hairy. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy and gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. Verse 5. If he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. A herald of righteousness. Another way to interpret herald, a preacher of righteousness. A preacher of righteousness. Was not just building a boat, okay? Because no one 
is going to walk past. I don't know, men, women, if you've ever like walked past your neighbor's house, you see a project. What is the immediate thing you try and do? My wife tries to look in their window, which I'm like, maybe we should just knock on their door. Let's not try and look through their window. I think it's a wife thing. They're like, oh, I want their windows open. Like, let's try and look in their house. I'm like, I don't know. I'll just knock on their door and talk to them. But we immediately begin to go like, dude, what are you doing back there? Like, what kind of project do you got going on? How are you doing that? What materials are you using? How much, did, how much does it cost? Like, level with me. How much did it cost to do that? Like, we naturally are curious by nature. Noah, as a herald, a preacher of righteousness, was preaching the way in which to be saved by God just by building the boat. Building the boat, people would have been like, what are you doing? Oh, God told me to build a boat because he's going to send a rain that will wipe out all of humanity. And he's given me the instructions and the way in which I am to be saved. And then they go, you're crazy. Walk away. A herald, a preacher of righteousness that everyone rejected. I don't know, there's probably some of you in here that feel like, man, I'm just not really good at evangelism. Can I tell you you're in good company? Because Noah wasn't either. Uh, He preached the message of righteousness for 120 years, and you know who listened? His family. That was it. Jeremiah preached for 40 years to an entire nation. And you know what happened? He watched that entire nation get swept into captivity because not even one repented of their sin. Noah preached the message of righteousness for 120 years and not one person listened. How many of you remember in the 90s? I'm a 90s kid, so uh, this thing called Kids Bop. Yeah, yeah, I got him. They did just by the laughs. It's like, oh yeah, I remember that. Those were weird. Yes, they were. Can I tell you right now? Anything with kids singing, sorry kids, is creepy. Um, there's no no good thing where kids sing. Every horror movie has kids singing. So the whole concept of kids bop to me, I was like, this is bad. Like I don't like this at all. Kids bop. What they would do is they would take songs that were in all honesty, like adult songs. At the time, it was like, Third Eye Blind, Matchbox 20, like, yeah, let's do this. And then they get children to just sing the song and change nothing. Like, it's like, let's just make children sing it. Like, we'll just do kids bop. And if you call now, you can have all 24 volumes of kids bop for the price of $12.99. We'll send, all, we'll send you two copies so you can give one to your friend. Like, this was a big thing in the 90s. And can I tell you that it's not just big within 90s culture. The church is actually very guilty of this, and let me, let me explain. Uh, we have a tendency to kids bop the Old Testament stories. Case in point, if you go to a nursery, one of, one of the people, Ed, at Lompoc Campus sent me a picture of a church that's for sale, and he even made the joke of like, look, the nursery even has Noah's Ark painting on the wall. And there was a big painting of Noah's Ark. This, and listen, this was calm everywhere this happens. There's paintings of Noah's Ark, but the kids bop it because it's like no one wants to see like a dead giraffe floating in the water on Noah's Ark, okay? That would traumatize all the kids. So what they do, they make it seem like, dude, this, this was amazing. <laughs> like, we're on here with all these animals, feeding them, taking care of them. My wife has one horse, and I'm like, this is kind of gross. I can't imagine a boat full of animals 
and your family only. Like, you, you think complaining and arguing who's going to do the dishes? Imagine cleaning out all those stalls with your family only, okay? We have a tendency to kids bop these things and make them seem like, oh, yeah, it's good, huh? Like, David and Goliath, it's like, oh, look, like, you can conquer your, your Goliath in your life. And, and it's like David, like, just knocked David, Goliath unconscious with a rock. It's like, ah, oh, that's where the story ended. He was knocked out unconscious. It's all no big. No, he beheaded Goliath with his own sword, okay? That's actually what happened. But no one wants to paint that in the nursery. And trust me, I'm not advocating that we should, okay? Let me just clarify that really quick because I can already see, like, someone's like, I could paint that in your nursery for you. We don't want it in our nursery. Do not want it in our nursery. We have a tendency to kids bop these things and make them seem like they're really good, enjoyable, fun adventures that they had. And we tend to rob ourselves of what actually was happening. See, we kids bop all of these things, take adult things, and then we try and distill them down to make them seem really immature, uh, never filling. It never answers really the questions of, wait a minute, what was the flood? Why did God have to do the flood? Hebrews chapter 11 says this, By faith Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. And by this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. This comes from Hebrews 11, chapter 7. And let me tell you, Hebrews 11 is the chapter where we kids bop everything, man. We're just like, everyone in there, let's just make it look amazing and pretty and attractive. And we make heroes of the people of Hebrews 11. there's, There's something to be said about looking to them But let me tell you, we don't worship the people that we find in Hebrews 11. We don't worship Noah for having faith in God. See, what's amazing is we see in Genesis chapter 7, sometimes we'll focus on the fact of like, oh man, how could God condemn all of those people? How could could an entire world with all of its creation be condemned by God to be destroyed? And what we do is we don't forget to flip that on the inverse and go, God, a good and faithful judge found that there was a family who was righteous in his sight and said, I will save them. When I can see nothing good, no one righteous, and God looked and found one family and said, let me tell you how you can be saved from what's coming. So in a good judge, we would all agree, does not, let, does not stand by and let injustice happen. We would say that's corruption. That's not fair. That's unjust. God is a just, loving God. You will never find someone more fair. He is the embodiment and the epitome of justice, righteousness, but also grace. See, we see here in Genesis chapter 7, God do something amazing. Blows my mind every time I read it. Okay, remember, God gave Noah every instruction of what to do with the ark. Every detail. One of those details was a door. Okay? Not a good builder. So that probably would have been the one thing I forgot on a boat. What boat has a door? I, I have no idea. This boat does. And God gave them specific instructions of how the doors to even open. Now, you can imagine... God saying, gather all of your family and all the animals because in seven days that promise will be fulfilled and rain will start to fall and the entire earth will be flooded. 
So what do they do? They begin to gather all the animals, get them in their place. The family comes into the ark. Think of this with your family. You and seven other members of your family get into the ark and you turn around and look out and you see the door open and you begin to go, who's going to close it? I mean, Noah's the oldest, so it's like, you've lived a long life, right, Dad? Like, you should close it. Like, all the kids are like, that's probably what I'd be doing. Like, Dad, you've lived long enough. Like, go close the door so we can be saved. And then, and then the oldest child's like, I think the youngest kid should have to do it. Like, we're not going to miss him, right? It's all right. <laughs> you, got, you got other kids? Like, send the youngest kid out there. They'll be fine. Send one of the wives. They, be, they probably are like, what's going to happen? And the fear that must take place. Again, remember, no one was saved except for Noah's household. No one repented and turned their way. The door was open, rain was falling, and it's not like there was a stampede of people coming and rushing the ark. And Noah's there at a 600-year-old bodyguard like, no, do not get him past me. And all of these wicked men are like, we'll kill you right now and steal your boat and we'll have zero remorse about it. But what happens is God shuts them in. See, God does the saving and the judging. That's not for you and me to do. God is the one that closes them in the ark of salvation. He said, construct, I've given you a way in which to be saved, but ultimately it's not your job to condemn. I will do that by shutting the door. See, God is the one that shuts the door. First Peter, we see another amazing act of which God does. First Peter, this is chapter, First uh, Peter, chapter three, eighteen. This is what it says: For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteousness for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed in the spirits in the prison, because they formerly did not obey. When God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight, were brought safely through the waters. God waited patiently. 120 years as Noah is constructing the ark in faith, believing that God will save him and his family from the coming condemnation and judgment. And God was patient with all of creation. And not one person other than Noah's family repented and went to the ark. And therefore God closed the door. What's amazing is Ephesians chapter 2 gives us a beautiful image of God. Ephesians chapter 2, one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible. It's hard for me to find sometimes, so don't judge me. There it is, all right. Ephesians chapter 2. If you have a Bible, feel free to turn. Ephesians chapter 2. If not, listen to it. And let me give you hope today. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in, once, in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God. Let me read that again. But God, being rich in mercy 
because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. For it is by grace that you've been saved and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Noah enters the ark, but God closes the door. And we can either read that as God condemned all of humanity or God saved the family that he promised he would. By faith, Noah constructed and built the ark, but God closed the door. Now, faith had, now Noah had faith in God to construct a boat for 120 years, wouldn't you say? That takes a, pr- a pretty good measure of faith. I'm probably not even going to live to 120. God forbid I live to 120 years. My word. Like, that is a long time. At 600 years old, he builds an ark and has faith in God. Hebrews 11, let me remind you, is an entire chapter filled with men in the Bible who had an immeasurable amount of faith in God. But we don't worship the men that had faith in God. Romans 15 tells us this. Romans 15 says, verses four, for what was whatever was written in the former days, so Paul is writing to the Romans, whatever was written in the former days before this was written for the instruction and through endurance and through encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Everything that was written before this is for a specific purpose that ultimately we would have hope It's for the instruction that will lead to encouragement and endurance that we can have hope in what God has written. All of the stories of the Old Testament, all of the history that we have, it's not written so we can worship the men in them, but it's written so that we can have hope in the one who is the perfecter and author of what they had faith in. Hebrews 15 tells us who that is. Sorry, Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12, right after the giant chapter of all the men of faith, look at what they did, look at the faith they had, and it's almost as like the author knew, like, uh uh-oh, like, I can see where this is going. They're going to start to worship these people. They're going to start to idolize these people. So he goes right from chapter 11 to verse 12, verse 1. Therefore, look at all these men of faith, look at what they did. Wow, isn't it so great what they did? Therefore... Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Verses 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. How is it that all of these men were able to have this immeasurable amount of faith? It's because they looked to the author and perfecter of it, Jesus, who for the, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising shame, and is now seated at the right hand of God. See, the Bible is not a story about all of these people getting it right and we need to look to them and model what they did. No, the story is all about everyone ultimately getting it wrong and Jesus getting it right, the author and perfecter of our faith. And we are to put our complete and wholehearted faith in what he says. He's the one that we ultimately look towards and who we model after. 
But now listen, I'm not saying that we cannot learn something from someone like Noah, who 120 years built an ark, an instrument for salvation for his family. For 120 years, Noah's building an ark saying, this is going to be what saves my family. Listen, there's something I can learn from that. That's an immeasurable amount of faith to have in God, that God, I trust that this is how you're going to do it. It will not make sense to anyone else, but I have faith in the author and perfecter, Jesus, that you're gonna do what you say you're going to do. See, the salvation of Noah was a, a wooden boat. Salvation's now extended through us through a wooden cross. In the same way Noah worked hard and constructed a boat that would save his family, in the same way the Roman soldiers constructed and perfected an art of torture that ultimately they would hang our Savior on. See, the salvation for us is not by a boat. Because as we said earlier, listen, any good judge would see unjust injustice, would see wickedness, and it would have to be punished. Listen, I am guilty of wickedness in being unjust, unfair, unrighteous. I deserve to be punished. The good news about the author and perfecter of our faith is what Hebrews tells us, that he is a propitiation. That's a big word that I got at Bible college that every once in a while it's appropriate to use. But let me tell you what it actually means. Jesus was our propitiation, which means he stands in the place for us. He accepts the guilty verdict punishment, himself not being guilty. Jesus is willing to stand in our place, look before the judge and say, listen, whatever they did, I will pay the price for. This is how we gain salvation now. Not by a boat, but by a cross and a man unjustly hung, paying our debt, our ransom, so that he can have relationship and community with us. Listen, Jesus did all the hard work, friend. Jesus did what we were not able to do. God, in, day, in the days of Noah, shut the door. He did what they were not able to do, but now Jesus has done what we are not able to do. We are not able to atone for our sin, for our wickedness, for the ways that we have gone astray. But Jesus stands in our place, says, whatever they owe, I'll pay. That's how God is a good judge. That's why Jesus is such a sweet and gracious Savior. Will you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you were willing to stand in our place to pay the debt that we could never owe. God, we thank you for your justice. As we long to see things fairly and yet our vision is warped, we don't see correctly. We think we have a definition of really what is just and what is right. But Jesus, help us to have faith in you, the author and perfecter of our faith, trusting that you are a good, righteous, and fair judge. And Jesus, we thank you that you stood in our place. You paid the price that we could never pay so that we can be in right standing with you. Our salvation does not come through a boat, 
but it comes through a cross. And Jesus, you paid the price on the cross. We love you, Lord. We thank you. It's in your mighty name we pray. And everyone says, amen, amen. Can we give Jesus a hand clap of praise this morning?